When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I am Jim Galanti along with Thomas Frank Carr. T. Frank coming off a 31-0 shellacking of Iowa. These Penn State Nittany Lions, they're a quarter of the way through the season now. Undefeated and as impressive a victory as I think I've seen in years from this team. What do you think? Uh yeah, I I after the sh- after the game on our post game show, I said I don't really have words for that, and we've talked about it a couple of times on on the show this week, and it's you you don't see domination like that. I mean, you didn't even see domination like that against Delaware. Delaware scored seven points, so it was um the the Iowa offense had so very little, and they came in knowing that, and I think that's kind of to me the biggest takeaway was. They shot their shot on their first drive, first two drives, and after that, they were they had they had nothing left in the chamber. So, Penn State then, from a uh, offensive standpoint, you know, you go back and you listen to the things that James Franklin says, and he does a great job of foreshadowing the game. Called a shot on Tuesday that that we're going to grind it out, and that's what they did. You know, they ninety seven plays, and I I said this in our film study on uh, Tuesday morning. There's when you get to ninety seven plays, there's no more theme. There's no more, hey, what's the the flavor of this week? Because you're running anything you can think of at that point. You're running your base offense. You're running plays from week. Whatever you installed and whatever everyone knows, that's what you're running. So, you know, there was a, we can get into the offensive decision-making process, but really it came down to at a certain point, we're just going to out-execute Iowa, and they did it three to three and a half to four yards at a time. I find found it fascinating, T. Frank, James Franklin talking about the offensive coordinator not getting bored oh, from yeah. calling the same plays. Well, when you have to do 90-some plays, there's going to be some repeats there. There's no yeah. other way to put it. And by the way, obviously I'm mathematically challenged. I said they're a quarter of the way through their season. They're actually a third of the way through the season, T. Frank. I, I didn't realize there was going to be math involved here. But anyway. <laughs> so I don't do it on the fly. I, I stopped. I'm a... I'm a uh... A rehabilitated math journalist, which is, I'm not going to try. You know, it's all going to be done behind the scenes. Well, it just shows you, I should have prepared that in my notes ahead of time instead of winging it with the math. Lesson <laughs> learned. All right, let's move on. Let, let's start with the offensive side of the ball, T. Frank. We'll get to the defense that essentially pitched a no-hitter. But mm-hmm. let's talk about the offense. A lot more to talk about there because a lot more plays, obviously. But I think one of the things, if you're going to nitpick with this offense, both with the running game and the passing game, was no home runs. I'm keeping that baseball analogy going here, T. Frank. Yeah. Uh, No home runs running the ball, and even throwing the ball, there were were not passes beyond—I don't think they threw any ball beyond 15 or 20 yards. 
Yeah. Is that any kind of concern at all? Can there be a concern when you march down the field the way they did? So that's kind of what James Franklin said after the game is normally this is a program that uh, is one of their landmarks every game is how many explosive plays did we generate? And James Franklin said, like, in a game like this against Iowa, the way they play, you cannot use that because that is not about uh, that's not that's not the guidepost for this particular game. It's be consistent. And as you said, um, as James Franklin said after the game, not getting bored with doing the right thing. So, and I appreciate him saying that because Mike Yersich, he found a lot of creative ways to do the exact same screen pass of getting Theo Johnson the ball and then a couple of blockers in front of him. I appreciate that as someone who could also get bored easily and wants to see something different. Um, so it just goes back into the game plan. Let's let's talk about some of the kind of high level numbers of Drew Aller um, and some of these stuff. We'll, we'll get into some of the details and some of them, uh, you know, we'll leave over on the website, but. Um, 27% of his passes were screens. That's a lot of screens. So the game plan was not we're throwing it deep. There were a couple of opportunities for deep shots, but Iowa played it well. And that's the thing with Iowa is they're not falling for double moves. They are going to be, they're going to be very sound in coverage and they are going to uh, operate their keys effectively. Now on the touchdown passes in the red zone, Penn State was able to manipulate their defense and get those, you know, that fourth and one play where Khalil Dinkins gets a touchdown. They're able to manipulate the safeties and, and kind of pry open the defense for a touchdown. They use that selectively throughout the game. Um, but other than that, it was just Drew Aller taking what the defense gave you, which was the 10 to 15 yards, maybe sometimes seven on those easy access throws in soft cover three and soft cover four. And that was it. I mean, uh, he has been incredibly careful with the football. And if you want to say, is there a concern? Is Drew Aller going to be pathologically, pathologically conservative? I, I th We saw in week one that he's willing to put the ball down the field into some windows. We've seen select times on third down. When he needs to have it, he can go get it. But standing in his own end zone to start the game, he's throwing check downs because uh, he doesn't even let some of the routes develop because he doesn't want to give Iowa the opportunity to get free points. Not going to get a safety, not going to get an interception, fumble sack, any of those things. We're going to be safe and we're going to let the defense do what they do. So it, no, I would say in this game, the, the need for explosive plays and the desire to get them, it'd be great if you could just rip off a big run and run through the Iowa defense, but they are a really good defense. They're a good front seven, they're disciplined, and they make it hard on you, which again goes back to the whole grind it out. You're going to have to get four yards at a time. They're not going to gift you 17, 18, 20 yards. And T. Frank, that's why I don't feel any concern about that because in Drew Aller, you have a quarterback that you know could hit a big play, could, has the arm talent to beat you down the field. So if you're playing a defense that's giving you things underneath, and you have a team that's not making the mistakes, not fumbling the ball, uh, limiting the penalties to things that a bend-bend-don't-break defense wants you to do, they, I have zero problem with that. There will be, plus you throw in some rainy weather, I'm happy with a young quarterback going for a, a third of the way into the season, T. Frank, without <laughs> throwing go. an interception, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and he's been very good with the football in 
a lot of different ways. And I broke down some of my favorite plays that he had on, on Saturday. And some of them weren't even completions. They were don't fall into the trap of uh, falling in love with your own strengths. So as we mentioned, taking those easy access throws, those soft comeback routes against uh, coverage. And a couple of times, Iowa tried to bait him into throwing a football into the wrong coverage because they showed one pre-snap and the way that they can rotate their safeties and the way that they play can make it very ambiguous. Is this cover three, cover four? And that changes where the underneath defenders are and how uh, the windows open and close. And he didn't take the bait at any point where I think it's super easy a lot of times if you're like, okay, I, I've decided I know this is going to be, you know, I know I've got this route. I know that the coverage defender is going to do this and I'm just going to throw it like the no think thing. But he always checks afterwards. He watches the coverage. And then when it's not there, he quickly goes to the next thing. If there's one area of his game that I would say I'd like to see him improve, early in the season, we saw him step through the pocket much more routinely. And by early in the season, I mean game one. Since then, he's done a little more drifting out of the pocket into pressure and making it harder on his tackles than I think he needs to. Um, he can step up into the pocket, but he's also gotten a lot of pressure up in his face so far this season. So that might be a natural reaction to he's always expecting pressure to come from the middle. And there's there's there were a couple of times where if he stayed in the pocket, stayed firm there, he could have had Theo Johnson or another player on the backside of a play. But because he moved into, you know, the majority of his progressions towards his first progression, he takes away half the field kind of on his own. And then you're not set up. You're not, your landmarks aren't ready for you to throw. So a small correction is just making sure you're firm in the pocket. And you don't drift and, and try to like escape pressure that isn't there. Um, so these are minor things, even stepping up and running. We talked about that before the game. And there was a, some opportunities where they were running coverages where if, if Aller broke the pocket and, and was aggressive to run, he would have had advantageous situations to run the football. But I think Iowa did a great job of keeping their rush lanes and, and you know, I keep using the word smush, but like they just smush the pocket and reduce the running lanes on the interior. And he's not a guy that's going to bend out and run outside a whole lot. So they did a good job of taking those things away. So really, it's just minor decision making. But when it comes to the arm and the mind and everything he does in uh, the passing game, very few uh, if any, uh, things that you want to correct or any things that you have concerns about from his ability to read the defense and find the right route. Let's talk about the running game a little bit, uh, T. Frank. I made the oh. statement earlier in the week that I felt like the running backs were maxing out the availability on their runs. Mm -hmm. If there were five yards there, I felt like they were getting the five yards. Should there be more of a concern about them not getting the big play? And why aren't they getting that big run? It changes week to week, truthfully, um, in terms of what the defense is doing and what's in front of them. And this is the point of running backs, is that if you talk about the hierarchy of what causes big plays, coordinator calling the right play, getting the right look, getting the right rotation from the safety. Offensive line blocking, quarterback getting you in the right run before the snap, and then the running back's ability to make things happen outside of structure is like third or fourth on the list. So Iowa does a good job. You know, Penn State, I, I mentioned this, Penn State, I believed going into this game was going to kind of shift their running style from what they've been doing, which is mostly zone, 
and going heavier into their gap blocking schemes. And that bore out for the first half of the game where they were running counter more than they were running the inside and outside zone. But at the same time, they ran 57 run plays. So they, eventually they just got back into their base offense. And when you get back into your base offense of inside zone running between the tackles against Iowa, those defensive tackles made it hard. It was not a great game for the guys on the interior. I'd say they took a step back from where they were last week. So that's just the shifting of the sands in terms of one week, they do a great job blocking. And then there's an overload in the box of players and you've got free defenders this week. There were not great running lanes and the, the running backs maximized those situations, especially I think Catron Allen had great vision to cut back in those zone blocking systems. And for Nick Singleton, I think there's a, just a little bit of bad luck at times where I'm looking at the decision he's making. He's making a good decision, but he's not as loose and agile and doesn't, you know, make those springy cuts to, to uh, bounce between the gaps and, and cause real problems for the, uh, for the, for the defenders. He is much more of a train track sort of guy where he's on a path. He makes a good decision, but he ends up running into a look where his blocking is not clean. And he ran into a lot of dead looks because tight ends didn't have a great game from a blocking perspective. Sometimes the interior didn't have a good uh, blocking game from that perspective. So his effectiveness was limited, I think, by the schemes and, and Iowa doing a great job in those systems of preventing big runs. Okay, T. Frank, that's the look at the offense. Stick around. Quarter number two, we'll go to the other side of the ball. We'll check out Penn State's defense. Stay tuned for that. Hey, it's T. Frank. Do you suffer from sleeplessness, anxiety, stress, maybe chronic pain? If you have any of these symptoms, that makes you like the rest of us. Um, and one of the ways that I deal with that, and I've told you for a long time here on the BWI YouTube channel, is that I struggle to fall asleep and stay asleep at night. And one of the things that's helped me is uh, RogueShop.com and their THC gummies. They are non-habit forming. I've never had a problem with stopping taking them or starting taking them or anything like that. Uh, you just take them and uh, before you go to bed, help you fall asleep, help you stay asleep. When you need to go shh, shh, brain, calm down. That's what it helps me do. Maybe you have chronic pain, though. They have some salves and some other things infused with THC, something that's been proven to abate pain symptoms. Uh, you can go to rogueshop.com and get more information about all of that stuff. Again, I'm just here to tell you about how it's helped me, but if you want the real information about how uh, THC and CBD can help you out, go to rogueshop.com, and when you do, use the promo code BWI. You'll get 10% off your first purchase at rogueshop.com. Again, tell them uh, that T. Frank sent you from the BWI Live Show, and uh, use the promo code BWI so you can get 10% off at rogueshop.com. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number two. He is T. Frank. I'm Jim. We're talking about Penn State's 31-0 whitewash of the Iowa Hawkeyes last Saturday night. Quarter number one, we talked offense. Quarter two, we're going to be talking defense. But I have one last offense question for you, T. Frank. Yeah. I've been calling for this for four games now to see uh, Drew Aller pull the ball out from the <laughs> yeah. running backs got and actually ran the run the ball. Yep. We saw that once. Yeah. And he got a first down. So I want to put yeah. in my uh my request to become the new offensive coordinator because <laughs> I've been calling for that and it worked, T Frank. Yeah, I I talked about this in the film study as well. If you look at the difference of 
how the running game operates when Bo Prabula is in in the fourth quarter, and it is the fourth quarter. So let's let's start with that and say that I know Iowa's starters were in at that point still, but it effectively broke the defense when Bo Prabula was in because they've been playing all game, they've been practicing all week for a non-running quarterback, and then Bo Prabula comes into the game and turns everything on its head, and the way they've been playing their gaps, the style of how attacking and aggressive they were downhill is because they don't have to worry about Drew Aller pulling the football. And we've said Illinois last week and this week, there was a couple of plays where Drew Aller, you know, kind of throws his hands up in frustration of, I read the read defender correctly and I gave the ball. And it's because the read defender, he takes two steps and plants and is turning towards the running back because he knows Drew Aller isn't going to keep the football. <laughs> Um, so you do have this difference in, in going into the Trey Potts conversation. Trey Potts is so productive in the fourth quarter because he's out there with Bo Prabula. And the way the linebackers and safeties and everybody has to react to the real dangerous threat of Bo Prabula, it changes the running game. So going back to Nick Singleton and Katron Allen, that is also a part of the conversation of these guys are going in. They've got it on hard mode where they've got to make everything work for the run game because the quarterback is not a, a serious threat in the run game. He can pull the ball more, but even if he does, is it really what you want? Like, is that an ideal situation for your offense? He's going to, he's going to have some timely key runs this year if he's doing it right. And he does have to do that, but they've been able to get away with again, grinding out the run game of running into these hard looks and asking their offensive line to block perfectly in these situations. And that's kind of a theme of the game is they got enough. They did a good job blocking up front, but Iowa got theirs. And Iowa did a great job in certain situations of shutting down looks they were expecting and playing Penn State really well in a couple of different ways. Going back to, and I, I know we're talking about the defense in this, but there's so much from the offense to talk about of, Penn State came in with a shift, kind of like they did against Auburn, where they've been playing zone, 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 and then they go with the counter game heavy in, in this game against Iowa, and it didn't have a great effect because Iowa shut it down. They used their defensive ends, kind of how Penn State uses them, of attacking the poles in the backfield and trapping those runners where they don't have the ability to get uh, out into space. And then when you tried to cut back, you didn't have some backside blocks that were there and ready to go. So Penn State, what they had been doing last year with their counter game, didn't really work. So then you go back to the base offense and then you, you just smash football until you win. You just smash the A button on the run um, and, and the truck stick until you get 31 points. Well, anyway, I think just having the threat of Drew Aller pulling the ball and running it will help the running backs, as you said. And as far as still talking about the offense, well, there were 97 offensive plays. Yeah. Like there were only 33 on defense to talk about. Let, let, let's talk about that. I think going into this game, we knew Penn State's defense was probably the best unit on the field uh, on that day. And Iowa's offense was probably the worst unit on the field that day. I yeah. think we expected Penn State's defense to get the better of Iowa's offense. But I'm not sure anybody expected what we saw. T. Frank, my, probably my favorite statistic, and there's so many great ones, was Iowa got a second first down less than five minutes into the game. Yep. They did not get another first down to the fourth quarter. 
So what was it that made this performance so special for Penn State's defense? How did they do this? Um, so I, it starts it starts up front, but it also starts with Iowa. And this is where, you know, I talk a lot about run schemes. And first off, I like, as much as I like the passing game, I know more and I feel like I'm more comfortable with run schemes. And and that is the bedrock of a lot of offenses. What are we doing up front to run the football? And then, especially with a team like Iowa, everything is built off of that. Run the football inside, stretch play to the outside, play action bootleg off of that. It's the exact same formula every single year. And this game, it wasn't. So you go through their play selection. First off, much pa- much more pass heavy than you would expect from an Iowa team early in the game. And they were doing a bunch of things, a bunch of misdirection and a bunch of run schemes that were atypical of what they've done either so far through the season or in the history of Iowa. So they come out and they run zero inside zone, which is basically saying uh, the sun didn't rise over the cornfields that day. Um, and that was, to me, telling of this is a desperation attempt. They were trying early in the game to sting Penn State with these misdirection plays, a shovel pass to a tight end. Anything they could do to generate and manufacture big plays through deception. Because they knew they couldn't run the ball on the Penn State defense. I'm going to say that again for Penn State fans that are still scarred by all of the games you've seen. Iowa, with the yellow jerseys, the yellow, white, and black, they came into the game knowing they could not run between the tackles on the Penn State defense and the linebackers and the defensive linemen up front. So everything was built off of a weakness that is typically a strength. And when they don't have that, and you lose Luke Lachey, the 85, their number one receiver at tight end, and also their number one receiver, their number one deep threat, the guy that they schemed the offense around this year, they had nothing on offense. They had no options. Uh, Ragini, the, the slot receiver, he was their number one target. And after they threw the ball to uh, Eric All about six times on short passes, the offensive game plan was over. Like they had reached the end of the things that they could do. So when they didn't get a safety against Penn State, when they had them backed up on the one yard line and they didn't get any points off of that early drive, they fumbled that ball with, uh, you know, the turnover early in the game. That was it. That was the end of their offense. And from there, Penn State shut down everything they tried to do. They finally got to their base offense in the third quarter, which was probably their eighth or ninth run of the game. Basically, they haven't run anything. So, you know, when you talk about what was their game plan, I don't think we know what their game plan was because it was non-existent. They ran 33 plays. The last part was, and this is hilarious, go back and I, I just watch the, the number of screen passes that they tried because Penn State has an aggressive defense with aggressive defensive line. And the number one way you stop an aggressive team is you throw the screen, right? Got to get that screen. They tried all game to throw one measly screen and it worked zero times. So, yeah, that was the game plan, and none of it worked. I'll tell you what. You mentioned some of the the Penn State fans who might be frustrated with the run defense. Just do this. Imagine, Penn State fans, that you're an Iowa fan. Imagine what that feels like this week. T. Frank, also, in talking about the defense, we saw something that I believe you've been calling for, which is we had three defensive ends in at the same time. Yeah. They moved one of them, and it turns out it was Chop Robinson they moved to the inside. 
Yeah. I think we could label that experiment a success. <laughs> yes, and James Franklin called it matchup dependent. So just the third down package is going to shift as to the personnel on the field by week, I imagine. this. Yeah, this is something we talked about in the preseason. And just as a refresher, we talked about the fact that Zane Durant was the guy that was playing nose tackle in this three down front for the Nittany Lions through the all of last year. And you've got three defense vents that are NFL caliber can some of them probably in the future can lead a pass rush. How do you get all those guys on the field? Well, this matchup specifically has everything to do with the middle of the Iowa offensive line and their pass protection unit. They're down to their third string running back and their center is 290 pounds. And it's proven on film that he's not strong in pass protection where he can get bull rushed and he can be pushed into the pocket. So instead of getting a big defensive tackle, they went with their most explosive, strong rusher who has, you know, that speed to power. And that was Chop Robinson. So they lined him up over the center. And it's funny. It actually it had to get into the third quarter before he actually got a rush over the center. They lined him up, uh, you know, in the A gaps to start. And then they would loop him around and they would try and get some easy pressures that way. And it didn't quite work. So they just skipped that and they had him go straight through 65 Logan Jones to get a, uh, you know, Adis Isaac got the sack, but it proved the point of they can dominate through any of the gaps. We talk about the edge pressure, but Penn State has a, an ace up their sleeve where if you double those guys, Abdul Carter is going to lead the team with nine pressures. So in this game where he was used as a quarterback spy, then the defensive ends got after it. So it's the versatility of the personnel that is going to give Penn State kind of like on offense where you can go 10, you can go 12 personnel or 11. They can go three defensive ends. They can go four defensive linemen. They can do a bunch of things really well and present challenges for a defense if they see or an offense, excuse me, if they see a weakness that they want to exploit. And that was um, really fun to watch because it's creative and it's it's dynamic. And it creates a lot of opportunities when you've got Abdul Carter and Chop Robinson both in the A-gap. That is, that's a scary, that is legitimately a scary proposition for almost every offense out there. Uh, T. Frank, I'd like to play a little game called Name Your Favorite Stat. You mentioned one, <laughs> I mentioned one earlier. Yeah. I'm going to give you two, and you tell me which better stat. You mentioned Iowa getting into their offense in the third quarter. T. Frank. They ran four plays the entire third quarter, one yeah. of them a three and out, and to break out of the streak of five straight three and outs, they decided to fumble the ball on first down their next possession. Yep. The other stat, between the second and third quarter, I think it was 13 total plays for minus 12 yards. <laughs> yeah. Those are two of my favorites. Could you pick from those two? I think it's a 13 plays for minus 12 yards. That's that's really the the icing on the cake because you're now walking back the miserable production you had made so far. And I'll give you my favorite stat of the game, which is the cumulative yardage that they they got on all of those plays. They got 76 total yards. And half of that, I think, came on two plays. And let me describe one play really quickly. Um, Kay McNamara runs for 15 yards on a on a bootleg. And there's nobody out there because Curtis Jacobs is reading that play. He's looking for the, the, the route coming through the backfield. The route never got there because Hakeem Beeman ran through Eric all, and there's just nobody out there. So I was most productive play came on a broken play where the, the offense really didn't function. They just got lucky in that situation. Sometimes better lucky than good T Frank. And there was a 
case of it. All right. They weren't much of it. either. <laughs> <laughs> that is it for quarter number two. Stick around. We've got your questions and we're going to ask T Frank next. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter three. You know what that means. It's time to ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions. We present them to T. Frank. T. Frank gives us great answers to all the questions. At the end of the segment, T. Frank will pick out the best question. Whoever sent us that question, they will win the prize pack from our good friends at 409tailgateclub.com. The place to go for great barbecue sauces, barbecue rubs, Bloody Mary mix. Check it out. That's 409tailgateclub.com. Mr. T. Frank, you all ready for the questions? Yep, let's do it. All right. By the way, if you want to send in a question, all you got to do, download our app, Keystone Sports. That's Keystone Sports. You'll see the Ask T. Frank and Ask Andy question. You can send in your questions. Let's start with David in Lancaster who says, what's your overall take on the offense four games in? By the way, T. Franks, that's one-third of the season. On one hand, it's a dream start with at least 30 points each game, uh, consistent long drives and no turnovers. Aller barely playing fourth quarters and only two sacks. But mm-hmm. conversely, the explosive plays in both the passing and run game are missing, drops with the wide receivers, and running backs seem to step off from last year. What do you think, T. Frank? Um, you know, it's good. It, it's a, it's a excellent start and it's a great baseline. Not having Trey Wallace out there, I didn't believe would have such an impact, but it does. You know, he, uh, in the first game showed that he was a reliable target to go off opposite of Keandre Lambert Smith and to generate, you know, quality receptions and moving the chains and let Drew Aller do what he does, which is take those easy throws. Um, the run game. I, I'm torn because part of, part of the conversation here is teams are not allowing Penn State to throw the ball deep. In two of the games that we've played so far this year against Iowa and against Delaware, there's been basically a picket fence across the, the back of the field where there have been n- very few deep opportunities. Against West Virginia, they had some. Um, and, you know, in, in subsequent games against Illinois, they had some opportunities and Drew just didn't hit them. So the explosive passing game to me is there when it needs to be there. And the running game has been efficient this year. It has been from a base level. The the offensive line, I think, has done a better job than in years past of executing their assignment and not getting beat a lot. 
even in this last game where I thought JB Nelson played maybe his worst game in, in as a run blocker, these were plays where he's got a good block and then he falls off at the last second. And he's upset with himself because he knows like he should have had that block. It should have been a, a spring for a big play. Um, Katron Allen is there. I thought early in the game, he, early in the season, he was pressing. Last game, very impressive with his ability to see and to cut back and make those plays. Nick Singleton is going through the growing pains of, I'm going to hit the right hole. I'm going to run where I'm supposed to, where the offense dictates I go. But, some, but again, the blocking isn't always perfect, and he lowers his head for five yards. You would like to see a little more special out of Nick, where it's like, okay, that's not here, and a little bit of quicker recognition of that's not here, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna GTFO, I'm gonna bounce, literally bounce. But you don't want him bouncing too much. There's always this fine line of last year he was bouncing too much. This year he's trying to be the good running back that does the right thing. So it'll come, um, and that'll be a part of the growth journey for him this year that we saw when he was a you know, when he was that nice balance of the two last year, he was very dangerous. So they got plenty of time to work it out. And they also have a couple of things that aren't available right now in the passing game. Dante Cephas is getting more comfortable. Trey Wallace is going to come back from injury. So I think there's going to be a lot more to come from the offense. I think that's a good way to put it. Okay, let's go to Allen in Waynesboro, who says, hey, T. Frank, it appears to me that the team tries to share the load evenly between Catron Allen and Nick Singleton. Mm -hmm. Can you evaluate the differences in the running backs and how you might use them situationally rather than just trying to balance the load? So it's interesting. Um, I, I made this comment. You didn't see Nick Singleton, a guy who was a preseason All-American, I think until five minutes in the first quarter because of the way that the offensive flow worked. And it's not odd for this team, but it was one of those situations where you look up and you recognize that. But I don't think that there's like, that's not a, I wouldn't say that that was a mistake by anybody because they went three and out and then Catron Allen came out for another series because they went three and out and he got one opportunity to run the football. Um, Catron has, I think, it's just, it's not any different than last year. Catron Allen has uh, better vision. He has better agility in the hole to make linebackers wrong because he's just got that sudden hop between uh, gaps. And he's able to create yardage where maybe there isn't a whole lot. Nick is a linear football player. He's gotten better at lowering his pad level. He's gotten better at running through his pads. But he is a he's an upright style runner and he does not have I mean, just look at the way he's built. He is more tall, upright. He's got narrower hips, higher center of gravity. So he needs to and they, they are tailoring, I think, a lot of this stuff for when it works for him to be explosive in the outside zone in the counter game where he can hit a hole and run. And they're just trying to work out making sure that the hole is there. And when he hits it, he can run through the arm tackles to get into the second level. And that is something that is, it's in the works. So I don't think necessarily you need to change the offense for one or the other. I think you just need to create the situations that they need to run. And they do have different stylistic things, but both can work in either situation. And in any of these offensive schemes we've talked about. So you don't think that there's, you know, uh, 
a down in distance where no. this is better to have Catron Allen in I don't versus think so. uh, Nick Singleton. And, and also, you don't want to give those tells. You don't want to say, okay, Nick is in the game, so they're definitely running one of these three systems, or they're definitely going to run with him in the game in this situation. You create tells that way. So you want to have your offense as balanced and as unpredictable as possible, so run everything with both guys. Okay, let's go to... Doug in Wellsboro, who says, why do they continue the Caden Wallace experiment at tackle? Why can't he be moved to a guard position, T. Frank? Because they've got a lot of good guards. <laughs> they've got a lot of good guards. And he's a here's the thing is like, I understand the historical perspective. And I have been a part of the conversation of Caden Wallace is struggling at tackle. But have you watched this year? Have you got the updated information? And maybe that's, again, on me for not communicating that. Caden Wallace has been great so far. He did not, uh, in the game against Iowa, I, I think he gave up one pressure, and it wasn't like a bad pressure. He's got an, a very good season profile, and he's one of their best run blockers. He is big, physical, and he's one of the few people on the offensive line that consistently is moving guys out of gap. So it, the next thing isn't the best thing. I, I've seen a little bit of Drew Shelton at right tackle when, when he came in in the Delaware game where I think Caden just had some mental lapses. You know, he had some gaffes in that game, and he wasn't good. But every other game, he's been very good, and he's moved guys off the ball. And the next thing isn't the best thing. In fact, I think Shelton, if you were to put him in the game full-time, you would be very unhappy with the results. So has Wallace faced an elite pass rusher yet? No. Has he shut down everybody? that he has uh, faced so far this season for the most part. Uh, you know, again, the game against Delaware, that was not a good game. But every other game, I'm looking at the numbers here. Two games so far, 31 and 28 pass blocking attempts, zero pressures allowed. Part of that is the quarterback and getting the ball out quickly and some of these short area depth of target things. But he's also playing better. And we need to have an updated conversation that Caden Wallace is not a weakness on the offensive line. He could be in the future. But I don't think Drew Shelton is better than Caden Wallace. In fact, I think it's firmly in Caden's uh, court right now because Drew still needs to do some physical developing and some, some technical developing, especially on the right side, to play with the same strength that Wallace is playing with right now. Okay, I think Doug falls into the trap a lot of us as fans do. We see one play and make a judgment on it. All right, let's go to Nick in Harrisburg who says, who would be harder to replace on the coaching staff, Juwan Sider or Manny Diaz? Ooh. Um. <laughs> ah. um Jaywan Sider has been doing an excellent job recruiting the running back position and, and making it a strength and a public strength. You know, that perception of running backs go to Penn State. Manny Diaz has crafted a defense that can and should attract the most valuable positions in football outside of tackle and quarterback. You got edge rushers and corners. I love the way they use safeties. I think safeties are super underrated um, college and in the NFL, especially in the NFL. They don't value safeties the same way because they are preventative instead of something you can use aggressively. And corners are, are super valuable. And, you know, Terry Smith, deserves so much credit for what he's been able to do at recruiting that position. But the defense and the way they play and the, the style and the brashness and the, and the ability 
Manny Diaz has changed the vibe of the Penn State defense. And that's hard to quantify. And I think it's a very short window that he's done this in. So, like, we don't have the negative years of maybe the the young corners next year don't play to the same level and they give up more explosive plays and suddenly the shine comes off again like it was at Miami where he didn't have the talent the last couple of years to run his system. He's got the talent here and you see the system and it is fun. Um, and that's a game changer. So I have to say Manny Diaz, but I also feel very uncomfortable not saying Jaquan Snyder <laughs> because he's done such a phenomenal job over so many years. And it just comes down to value of the added value of coordinator and positions affected, I guess. Uh, I, I'm with you on that one. Manny Diaz has had such a positive effect on this team. Let's go to Steve in Columbia, PA, who says, it is T, Frank. It's impressive your in-depth analysis of Penn State football. How many hours a week do you spend on your work? And this is coming from a guy who retired at the end of July. I think uh -huh. Steve just wants to stick it to the working man there <laughs> by saying he's now retired, T. Frank. Uh, so it's, it's a lot. Um, so let me give you an example. After not this past game because it was a night game and I was working until like 1.30 in the morning. I got up at 8. Most times on Sunday, I'll get up at like 5.30 in the morning and then I'll be working until 9 o'clock at night. And then I'll get up on Monday and I'll do a live show like yesterday I did three or four videos. So I'm guessing it's somewhere I've never tracked it, but it's somewhere in the realm of 80 plus hours a week, 85 hours a week. And that's also like including some work that I do in order to get the work I need to do done. If that makes any sense of like, you know, getting all of the I's dotted and T's crossed so that I can get to watching the film, breaking it down and doing a bunch of other things. So like the, it's a lot, it, it is, it is a lot, but I'm also so afraid of being wrong <laughs> that I, I'm not going to stop. Like it, it's something that I have to do in order to do. And hopefully what I do is bring you accurate, insightful and entertaining information uh, about Penn state football. So I appreciate you asking. From the Penn State fan perspective, T. Frank, all your work is appreciated. That is it for quarter number three. Stick around, start at quarter four. T. Frank's going to name a winner. Stay tuned. Are you a company that is passionate about athletics and wants to tap into the Penn State sports community? Maybe you're a community organization in State College, Center County, Pennsylvania, or even Planet Earth. Are you interested in growing your brand and leveraging our YouTube and podcast platform? Or are you just a person that has some money to spend? If you're any of those things or something I didn't bring up just now, consider advertising on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube show. We have a dedicated and passionate audience that is just waiting to hear from you. Through, through me, talking about your business on the show. That, that's how we do it. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, Email Michelle Delee Hamilton at Michelle at ComanPub.com. That's Michelle at ComanPub.com. We're waiting to hear from you through me talking about you. Again, that's how we do it. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number four. I'm Jim Galante along with Thomas Frank Carr. T. Frank, we just got done with our Ask T. Frank segment. We need a winner. Who's it going to be? 
Yeah, we're going with uh, Allen and Waynesboro asking about the different running styles of the running backs. Because uh, I think it's a good conversation about you don't want to fall into the trap of accentuating strengths to the point that you become predictable. And I think there's a balance there also of growth. You want, the, you want to challenge these players to be better and to grow within their weaknesses. And you don't do that by just feeding them the shortest route to success. So I, I think it was a good conversation to have about, you know, how to use these special players and how to try and make them grow and be truly bulletproof as runners and receivers. Okay, T. Frank, very good. We will be getting a hold of you, Alan, about your prize. Let's move on, T. Frank. I want to talk North uh, Northwestern in a minute. First, mm-hmm. two commits this week uh, yeah. coming out of the whiteout <laughs> game. Very nice. Let's give a quick uh, quick uh, overview of these two players. Uh, DJ McClary, McClary, six foot, two hundred five pound, a linebacker from Jersey City. And Tyke Hayes, a 5'9", 190 running back from Aliquippa. Both of them are four stars. Uh, yeah, talk about uh, adding more work onto the pile <laughs> when I wasn't <laughs> ready for it. it. This always happens when I just there, there's a certain level of panic that gets into me. It was like, now I've got to watch all these high school games. <laughs> it's like, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. So I don't have a, that's to say, I don't have a fully informed opinion of these guys just yet. I have watched... Um, you know, their highlight video. And I've uh, done some digging in terms of listening to my coworkers and what they said at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com about these players. So it's kind of a surface level view of them. But Tyke Hayes, especially uh, this last time, I think he's a fun player. Um, on Monday, he committed to the program, the running back. It's, it's, a fun, it's an interesting conversation because if you talk to certain Penn State fans on the internet, what are we doing? This is a three-star running back, ranked 349 in the on-three industry ranking. Watch him run the football. We talk about Nick Singleton, and, and he's learning to be a running back. This, this kid in high school reminds me a little of Katron Allen. Uh, maybe not a professional runner, which is what I called Katron when he was at IMG, but the natural instincts of when to use certain moves, whew, he is fun to watch. Like You can see him on a certain play, back-to-back, use a stiff arm, jump over a player, and then lower his shoulder. So like he, he has this idea of when to correctly use these moves at the high school level. And again, it's the high school level, so you can probably use any of them and they work. But that that combination of breaking tackles and, and falling through contact and getting extra yards is incredibly valuable. Speed isn't there, but uh, if Penn State has recruited him and has accepted his commitment, they think that, that uh, that's going to improve. And even if it, he's not a burner, we're talking about a guy that's going to get extra yards after contact and create the environment of, positive yardage and continuing to move chains for the offense and then breaking a tackle is breaking a tackle like that if you can get extra yards after contact that is you're generating positive yardage for the offense so that's an area where i think he's very strong and there's a lot of physicality strength in his profile and i think he's only gonna get bigger and stronger in the penn state weight program so this could be a really hard dude to tackle later in his career and then as fast as he can get is going to increase his profile so he is a three-star for on three i could see him ending as a four-star but i could also see him being a three-star because he's not you know the the testing metrics aren't there but significantly outperforming that because of all the things he brings from an intangibles perspective at the position very good and mcclary the linebacker um kind of in a similar mold fast i would say the difference is he 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 pops off film he also, 
he hits so hard. He's fun to watch. Like, just go watch his highlight film. Um, he's both these guys are super productive at their high school levels. And McClary is a quarterback, kick returner, punt returner, linebacker, edge rusher. He uh, is just everything for his team, and it shows. I love his patience and vision. So you talk about a lot of times super athletic players. They can pull themselves out of position because they're not. They're not playing football. They're just faster than everybody, and they get to win because of their size-speed combination. I love the way he sifts through things with his eyes. He's patient, and then he explodes to the football, and he gets there in a hurry. And when he does, he creates an impact. So not the tallest guy in the world, but again, built. Super built player. Um, he's going to be an outside linebacker. He is on the pantheon of Penn State linebacker prospects. He's not up in the Abdul Carter Micah Parsons stratosphere of athlete, but he is well within the parameters of this dude fits in the Penn State football linebacking room. And, you know, again, talk about instincts and some of the things that you can height, weight, speed doesn't give you. He's got those things plus good speed. I'd say good bordering on very good. And then the strength and, and just like he's thickly built and he's got a good frame where I think he can get up to the right size um, that he can be versatile for Penn State might maybe could play Mike definitely. I think a will. And that's really what Penn state. That's what they want. They want to get a guy that can play either outside linebacker position and eventually be the will on the team, because that's where they want as many of those guys that have explosive multidimensional linebacking ability as possible, because that's, that's really the, what makes the engine go. So a guy that is a four-star prospect top 10 at his position. So very good get for Penn state in 25 and in New Jersey, which is a big deal too. Okay, T. Frank, let's move forward. Let's do a quick look ahead to Northwestern. First off, they're a 26-point underdog for a reason, but I know you've watched some tape on them, at least on the Northwestern offense. What can we expect to see from them? Uh, The quarterback, and again, at this point, I have watched a game. I haven't even watched the full game because I was going through the Minnesota game, and it was like I haven't gotten to the overtime yet. So their quarterback is fun to watch. I don't know that he's good but he's fun to watch uh, scrambler athletic. will use his legs to extend plays and sees the field really well. I think he sees defenses how he should. So this is a situation where if Penn state is not on their game, he could hit them, you know, in some zone. If they're, they're in a zone pressure and he evades the pressure, he could find the open receiver knows where to go with the football. The problem is he can't really get it there all the time. And that is from an accuracy perspective and, you know, an arm strength dynamism perspective i think he's got a fine arm but again i'm i'm used to watching drew aller at this point so everything is kind of meh and that's where you have to recalibrate to this is a college quarterback and uh he he could keep them in the game but from an offensive perspective their offensive line didn't impress me right away seemed like they were doing a lot of things to run around their offensive line instead of through their offensive line Later in the game against Minnesota, they're able to, to get some yards between the tackles. But if you're talking about the matchup with Penn State, I think you're going to have a similar situation. They're going to try to attack the edges, screens, quick passes. This is the part that's hard for me, though, Jim, is because I'm looking at the, the defense they're facing. And everyone runs cover four. Everyone runs these match systems that you saw Delaware run and you saw a little bit of West Virginia running and especially what Iowa ran. Everyone runs these two high systems that keeps a lid on explosive plays. And you want to talk about Penn State not generating a ton of explosive plays. Part of it is the style of college football is, be, is defensive coordinators have had it. 
We're done giving up explosive plays. So you can nickel and dime in the run game all you want, but we're betting that the car crash that happens up front is going to routinely generate average yardage and not these big runs. So this is a week that Penn State could get some runs on the board, but at the same time, how is Northwestern going to play Penn State because there's a lot of these vertical passing concepts against cover four. You're trying to attack that coverage shell because of the way it operates. I don't think you're going to get a lot of that against Penn State. You saw the same thing with Iowa. They were running a lot of vertical stuff before going against some cover four teams and some soft coverages. And then they throw a bunch of short stuff against Penn State because of the nature of the Manny Diaz defense. So again, a lot of short passes, a lot of control screens, college stuff, but I don't see a huge threat from the Northwestern offense, but they should be fun to watch if they can get a couple plays strung together. Well, as I said, it's a 26-point spread here going on, T. Frank, for a reason. Let's yeah. look at the Penn State side of this. After the Iowa game, they've got uh, Northwestern, a bye week, then UMass before going to Ohio State. Yep. So I think these next three weeks are about, okay, let's get ourselves ready. I know James Franklin will say 1-0 this week, yeah. but realistically, they've got to be looking ahead. What are the things Penn State should be working on? What should the fan watching the game say, okay, this is what uh, Penn State's working on, what we want to see? Yeah, I, I think we've covered a lot of them over the first three weeks of the season. It's just putting together a complete offensive performance They've shown they can attack the deep part of the field, but they haven't routinely executed in that area. So, you know, just make other teams pay for running what they run. That is, I would say, if there's an area where in the run game, they, they're seeing a lot of two, these two high shells, like I said. And if you get those, there's not the safety drop down in the run game. You should be getting five yards. You should be getting chunking up the run game and they have been inconsistent at doing that they did that early in the season against West Virginia but they have been inconsistent in their blocking and running to be a cohesive unit I feel like again they're just they're just off just small percentages from taking a three-yard run and making it a a nine-yard run and then you have fewer complaints when they're averaging six yards a carry even if they don't have the explosive plays Um, and then when it comes to Drew Aller I want to see him be a little more aggressive 4.4 yards average depth of target is good when you're playing Iowa. I wanted to see him attack those coverages a little more, but Penn State, you know, in their game plan, they, that was not the plan of attack and respect James Franklin and the coaching staff for making that decision. That's their decision, right? They didn't, they didn't want to give Iowa the opportunity to be in the football game. Totally get that. Um, But every once in a while, I I think that this offense does need to be, we have a five-star quarterback with a five-star arm. He can read the defense throw into those second windows and don't be, I don't want to say don't be afraid, but be confident in your skills. And part of this is Trey Wallace not being healthy. So that's going to be part of it. Is he healthy this week? Is he healthy uh, homecoming? Like just keeping all these pieces together. And that's really it for me on that side of the ball. Defensively, I would say um, just continuing to clean up the, the stuff up front slanting and and stinging gaps they did a great job against iowa bring that same energy every week of hitting your gap exactly the way you should and this defense will be dominant 
week in and week out. They'll go up against every single offense they face if they play gap sound because they do a lot of smart things to set up their second level to get free runs at the running back and the ball carrier. So those are the things I'd say clean up in in those areas on defense. And it's at this point, it's minor adjustments of just continue to be what you are so far. Okay, we got a couple seconds left. You gave yourself enough time to give us a prediction, T. Frank. Oh, man. I made the mistake of giving Iowa a lot of points, and it's because I had not watched their offense when we had had this conversation last week, so I gave them like 17 points. Uh, Let's be brave and say Penn State gets to 48 in this game. 48-10? 48-10. Let's do 48-10. Let's do that, T. Frank. Very good. (laughs) 48-10. Zero confidence. (laughs) You heard it here first. All right. Thanks very much, T. Frank. Great show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.